Welcome, welcome, welcome to another week of chat with Nessa. I am so happy and grateful now to have Miss Delphine Pruitt with me. Welcome, Miss Delphine. How are you doing out on the West Coast? Good evening. Well, good evening. I'm doing fantastic here in sunny California today. <laughs> yes, and I am so happy that, you know, my good friend Lisa Sanchez said I must talk to this phenomenal woman and truly you are. So I want to tell the uh, people listening to us a little bit about you. You are entrepreneur, public speaker, strategic visionary. That goes, that's just not even getting the full picture of all that you do, really. Community act, act advocate and a philanthropist. And you do so many things that I really wanted to talk to you. So I'm grateful that you took your time. I know you're a busy woman to come on chat with Nessa. So I appreciate you. And I want uh, whoever's listening to this to get to really know this phenomenal woman. So I want to get started with my questions that I have for you. And you know, I'm free spirited. And I told you answer was several on your heart. And I want you to share with whatever you feel led, led to share this evening. And so I want to start asking, I always say, ask this question first of most women and entrepreneurs and businesswomen. As a little girl, what was your initial goal for the vision or the vision for your life that you had growing up? Wow. Well, you know, I knew it was going to involve something helping people and being, you know, involved in community and stuff like that. Only because um, as, as a child, I always thought about me being a nurse and I wind up my first career was actually I spent people don't know I spent three years in nursing school <clears throat> so I was going to be a nurse and I wanted to be a nurse anesthetist and but I've always like really value um, community friends money asked a lot of questions about money and finance so I knew that uh, <clears throat> that would be the path that I was going to take because my mother was so good at it and then again my mother was a <clears throat> was in nursing so so for me you know, I knew I was going to be something like that where I'm talking a lot, <laughs> you know, where I'm out involved, you know, in, in local communities, because as a as a child, we grew up in a family of advocates. So it's just who we are, advocates and entrepreneurs in, in my family. So I knew that I was going to do something that had to deal to deal with uh, with money. Now, and, and I love math. So I was good at math. So I just decided, well, maybe I'll be a nurse and be a nurse anesthetist and you have to get up at, you know, five o'clock in the morning and be at work at six. Now, I am not the early riser at all. Oh, so, wow. So I knew that after three years of nursing school and getting up in the morning and then going in the OR, I'm like, these people need to live. I, I can hurt someone, <laughs> you know, not being as alert, you know, at 6 a.m. Yeah. So you switched gears. So three years of nursing school. So you decided after three years that nursing was not for you. It was not for me. And it was one really one incident that really sat and told me this was not the field for me. Um, I had a patient um, to die. <clears throat> and I recall oh. being going in the room and as a nurse, a because at times in nursing school, you you really wasn't full-time nurse, but you did everything that a nurse would do. And I remember this person, I said, I don't think this patient breathing. And I took all kinds of pulse and I went out and got the head nurse that came in and and sure enough, the person, the person had deceased, had passed. And I was just like, almost like in tears. And they were like, well, you'll get used to it. And I thought, I don't ever want to get used to dying people. But I understood what they mean. Like you learn how to put your emotions back and I didn't want to I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to ever get used to people people dying because I love being around people and enjoying life and doing things. I just didn't want to do that. And and at the time I switched to business, but it wasn't a stretch because I was already um getting a uh, minor in business. So I was already taking business courses and I had a love for it. So I was looking at going from nurse anesthetist to like maybe hospital administration because I wow. just knew the business aspect of it. But yeah, so I spent three years in nursing school. Okay. Now I know our I asked you to choose your topic that you wanted to share from your heart and you chose building wealth, squashing the home ownership myths. So we really want to share your core message tonight. And so what are the home ownership myths that you have found over your many years in helping people with home ownership? I would say the first thing is really mindset because people think they can't do it. 
and can't purchase a home, they in their mind tell themselves already they can't do it. So the first thing is, is the mindset because people either can't do it. The second thing is people thinking you need to have a lot of money to purchase a home. Well, there's so many different programs out there where people can purchase a home a little as 3% down. A lot of times it's like, you need 20%. You need, no, no. I mean, with as little as five, you know, it's 3% down. The third thing is credit. It has to be perfect. Now, what is perfect? You know, credit, what is perfect in, in anything? So I would say, no, you don't have to have perfect credit. So to me, start the mindset is the first myth of thinking that you can't when you really can. Uh, The second, again, is it takes a lot of money. No, that's not true. And then lastly, that you have to have perfect credit and it's all relative. I tell folks, it does not have to be perfect to do that. But I just think that it is research has shown that is the one tool that you can build wealth and decrease the wealth gap between uh, black and white and with the purchase of a home. It's the one thing that you can immediately begin to build, to build wealth, you know, for your future, but we talk ourselves out of it. So it's a mindset game for me. And, and I think education, you know, is key, you know, so folks can know. Yes. And did your former education and years of service in the mortgage industry with Fannie Mae help your financial wellness? Oh, definitely. I spent uh, nearly two decades, well, you know, 15, 16 years at Fannie Mae. And they are the leaders, the giant in the mortgage industry. They set the guidelines. I can tell people they create the recipe. So if you're going to bake a cake and got a different recipe, they create the recipe for you to be able to get a mortgage. And working, you know, for a trillion dollar company, you know, like Fannie Mae, exposed me to resources, you know, I never would have known about. Different programs. You know, how do they do it? What do they look for? Oh, you don't have to have perfect credit. Oh, this program is out there. And it's all kind of different lenders out there that you can work with. That, that training yeah, at, at Fannie Mae was phenomenal. But I would say prior to getting to Fannie Mae, the training that I got from being a fellow with the Rockefeller Foundation. The Rockefeller Foundation is the most strategic company I ever worked for in my life. Mm. We would come in and design programs, community development programs, including housing and, and economic development. And we, we come in like, well, research done says we can do A, B, and C. And then they would challenge you. Well, that's one way you can do it. But is that the most effective way? Mm. Then I go, hmm, well, there might be another way you can do this. And so it requires you to go back and look at all these different ways and really hone those skills and research and strategic thinking and say, what's the best way to get from here to be? There's a lot of ways, but what's the best way? And which way is going to have the most impact on the folks? So that my uh, tenure with with Rockefeller was, again, I think, set to stay to help me even excel at being very strategic about how I go about uh, working with organizations, creating designs programs to really help uh, minorities, low income, you know, underrepresented individuals be able to purchase a home. Because I got that training, that access to information, research people who did all this for you, who bring you different pieces of information in to really help you to be able to design programs and strategies to do that. And for me, it all came down to mindset and education. Wow. Now, to be chosen for as a Rockefeller fellow, that's tough. Don't they choose very few people every year for that? Yeah, well, it's a program that they had, Warren Weaver Fellow program that was uh, created by the president at the time that was there. And you submitted an application to create an essay, like what is a problem you think is this and how would you solve it? And so I created what I thought was needed in low-income communities and minority communities in terms of economic development and with an emphasis on housing. Mm. 
And I designed a whole program and came up with a budget, everything, submitted it. And then I got called and said, I was offering an interview. And I'm like, great. So when I get there, I didn't think anything of it. Go through the interview process. And they told me at the end of my interview, they like, you know, you're not getting a million dollars, right? Because it said, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? And you back up and you design this program. And I, I mean, I laid this program out. <laughs> it's a program. I'm like, we can do this. And at the end, they say, you're not getting a million dollars. But it turned out that it was, was rigorous. They, they get at the time, we get about a couple hundred applications. What I didn't know is they interview only 12 people. Wow. When they said you were for the interview, I kind of chuckled like, really? <laughs> you know, I mean, I really did. I laughed. And I get there and it's New York, beautiful building, and it could be intimidating, but it wasn't for me. And I already learned that they interviewed 12 and they only took six people. So I was one of six. Wow. That is very prestigious. And I was able to get there and I worked on um, housing and then economic development um, program. And I I just loved it. I mean, it was was a great experience and they looked for people. I I said, you know, this could be an intimidating process for people. Y'all might want to change it. And they said, that's what they do because people who can't come here and and stand up against the folks here you know hold your own and be confident you're not going to make it so wow um, i I enjoyed it i really did it was it was it was a great experience so that's led to all these years of advocacy we're going to get to that in a minute all that you've done you design you strategically envision programs to help so many people so we're going to get to your volunteer your philanthropy which is to me i read up on that i think you are just phenomenal all that you're doing in the community all that you have done. And so what are the three specific financial moves that you would encourage people to make right now that would help them purchase a home? Well, what I would say is um, preparation. Nobody just wakes up and says, okay, I'm buying a house today. And then you go out and buy one. You have no idea what it takes, what's involved. And if you bought one before and you never got any educational uh, preparation and taking some um, training, that's free out here from a lot of nonprofit to help you prepare for ownership. You won't know. So I always say that um, home ownership education is key. Once you learn what it takes, then you know what you need to do to be able to get there because everybody's situation is different. Second thing I would say do is start investing in yourself because you're going to have to come up with some skin in the game and have some resources to put down but start small. People think I start really big, like, oh, I don't have that much to invest. You can do you know, $25 a month. Or every time you get paid, put away $25. Whatever's going to work for you. Make it a, a sacrifice and just start putting some money aside to prepare to be able to finance and get your home a down payment, excuse me, get for your down payment that you're going to have to come up with. You know, and then lastly, take a look at your credit and see what your credit looks like now and what you need to do. How can you improve it? Because what people don't understand is the higher your credit rating is, the better rate, interest rate you can get. And that's very important in terms of how much your payment is going to be. So you need to start doing those things now. It's one quote, one of my favorite quotes. I have two. One of them is from Ben Franklin. And it says, uh, tell me and I'll forget. Teach me, I may remember, but involve me and I will learn. Uh, you will learn everything you need to know about the home ownership process and what it's going to take if you go and you actually take that course and learn all the nuts and bolts. Because now you become more educated that you don't rely on a realtor or a lender someone to tell you, you have all these questions you know, that they're going to have to respond to. And when they see you more educated, you know, they're going to involve you more in this process instead of telling you. And that's how you're going to learn. Yes, that's very powerful. Can you repeat that, please? Yep. uh, Tell me, and I forget, I I might forget. Teach Mm -hmm. me, and I might remember. Involve me, and I will learn. Yeah, That's how you learn, by getting involved. 
And that's why I get involved and volunteer in a lot of community, um, do a lot of community advocacy around home ownership, small business, and working with nonprofit organizations. And most of the ones I, when I sit on the board of these organizations, they have a housing component because that's just something near and dear to me because it's yeah. a wealth building too. You build generational wealth. And I really want them to focus on reaching out to a population that thinks that they can't do it. And I yeah. want them to get them involved so that they can purchase a home and learn what it's going to take. Yes. And as I, I, you don't remember this email I sent you, you're so busy. <laughs> but I think of my girlfriend, Liz Johnson. She is NAACP member of PG County, Maryland chapter, uh, president of Strategic Housing Solutions. And I think of you two. And I think I said I wanted to connect you two all eventually because all that you do and she does is so phenomenal, all that you're doing for the community. So I just want to stop and say thank you for what you're doing because you're, you're making a difference. Well, thank you so much. And it's strange you mentioned NAACP. I told you I come from a family of advocates. Yes, you But my brother, Adolphus Bird, is president of the NAACP chapter in St. Louis, Missouri. Ah, oh, phenomenal. <laughs> and so it, come, it yeah. runs in our family. Yeah, and he's yeah. been president for years and he's far more um, assertive than I am out there in the community. But yes, he's, he's president. And this again, um, that runs in our family. We have come from a family of advocates who always gotten involved because my parents got involved in community growing up. And we grew up in a community where everyone knew each other, everyone got involved, and, and that just stayed. That's just a part of our DNA. Yes. And you know what? I've had a couple people on chat with Nessa this little bit, little bit over a year now from the NWCP. I would love to have your brother on sometime. We've had the East Coast chapter, so maybe he might be too busy. But I did have the president of the PG County chapter on several months ago. And so that's very powerful. That's, I love that organization. Does such good yeah. in the community for, for generations now. So well, he, um, he's good. And he, you would... He can break it down for you every oh. exactly what's going on in St. Louis, what's going on in the country, the impact, and he's also um, you know in his own business. So, oh, be, so be, I will be talking to you, Miss Delphine, after this to see if I know he's probably really busy, but it might be take me six months to get that interview with your brother. But I would <laughs> love to talk to him. But you have so much more to share. I want to ask you. What have been some of the top three challenges that you have witnessed as it relates to creating financial success? Because you've been helping people for years build that generational wealth through homeownership. What have been some of those challenges? Well, you know, I, I'm going to start again with the mindset. We really need to exercise our mind and to think differently. I can versus I can't. <clears throat> or I don't have. I know what do I have? It's the whole mindset that I think it keep us from being who we truly are and who we truly can be. So first of all, I tell folks the challenge is I'm looking at behavior. So how mm -hmm. can I help change behavior, which is ultimately going to change people's mindset and behavior is really hard to change. But when you, when I break it down and the work that we do, I don't, people use big numbers or you want to do this, just baby steps. What is it you can do now? To begin to start planning for your future. Take as many free courses as you can to understand money. And I tell folks, what was your first relationship with money? And they go, what do you mean? I'm like, what was your first relationship? Was it I get money, I spend, you get money and save? For me, I had a sister who worked at a bank when I was younger. And I opened up a bank account when I was, I think I was under 13. I was probably been 12 years old. Had a little summer job. And for me, my first relationship was getting a savings account and me seeing too. how my mother budgeted, how my sister them budget, what happens to a bank. And I remember one time when they first brought our ATM machines and I was young and I remember going somewhere with my mother and I said, I wanted something. She said, well, do you have any money? I said, no, but you do. She said, I don't have any money. I said, well, go to the bank and get some money. And then she had explained to me, no, you just don't go to the bank. <laughs> and get money you have to have money there so your early relationship with money think about what was your relationship and when i when i whenever i did have money did i spend it all well i mm. like big numbers so i would save money i'm still like that all the time because i want my account to grow i like seeing big numbers in there so i don't really want to use too much of my money 
you know. So I would set up another account that I would use just for, you know, let me, if I want to travel, I want to do something, this is saving for that, but this account still going to grow. So think about your first relationship with money and do baby steps that you can to get started. And me, people say, you know, it's like 80, 20, you know, say 20%, you know, you spend 80 to live. For me, it's more like 70, 30 and sometimes 60, 40, because I'm like, do I really need this? What do I really need? And I love to travel and I've traveled in every continent except Antarctica and I don't do cold vacations. So that's why I haven't been there, <laughs> you know, but I like to do a lot of different things. So I begin to save money. So when it's time with the money you're saving and investing in yourself, I'm like, that's your money. You invest in yourself. Now you got money to purchase a home. Now you have money if you want to go on a trip. And now you have money if you want to get like an investment property. You, you have resources to do that, but take small amounts. And But do say whatever is 80, 20, 70, 30 for you, but make it. Um, not to where you're not able to do anything is I feel like people work hard every day. You go to work, you know, you, on your job, you work hard, you get money for doing that. Treat yourself, but don't do it all the time. You know? uh, thank you. You have to have discipline. You have to have discipline. You said something earlier. Do you need it? Yeah. And you know, and I hate to say this, in the African-American community, we like things. And my mother always had a saying, people have been trying to keep up with the Joneses and the Joneses died years ago. So really, you got to really mm -hmm. stop being so materialistic. Some people don't need some things they purchase. They just want to be cute and fabulous for somebody else to be impressed. Right. And a lot of time they waste their money. And God does give you, the scripture says, you know, he gives you to be a steward, a steward over your money. The steward to be a wise steward. You really have to, like you say, to me, it's pay God. You got tithe, and then you pay yourself, and then you have to have savings. But so the problem is, like you said, you people don't ask themselves, "Do I need this? Do you understand the value of a dollar?" But that core relationship from childhood to your relationship with money is very key. So, what other challenges have you seen besides the relationship people have with money? Well, the other challenge is is just fear, fear. Hmm. Fear, fear that I know. What if I lose my job? What if I don't have this? It's like that can happen with you renting. That can happen with you just working out. But fear, but it's a real fear though. So you have to deal with the fear. What has caused you to have that type of fear? Again, I don't know if I'm having a job. Well, it goes back to the first thing is investing yourself and saving money. So save a little bit more. So that way your fear and your anxiety can decrease because you have some money invested in safe. And also have more than one stream of income. And oh. I teach investment courses. I think people need to have your multiple streams of income. And if COVID-19 didn't teach anybody anything, it should have taught you the last two to three years. You need more than one, not just have a job, mm -hmm. but also live your purpose and have a, you know, something that you're doing from your heart. Like you do service, you do community work. That's just one stream. I know you have multiple streams, but mm -hmm. I think also... Mm -hmm. People just rely on that job. And you, I know because I was in corporate America, I got downsized a couple of times, but I always had two or three side businesses. <laughs> I've yeah. always had multiple streams of income since I was 15. So <laughs> I believe in multiple streams of income. So that's you gotta have a side hustle. <laughs> gotta have a side hustle. <laughs> and I know people with side hustles. And that side hustle can help you buy the house, that side hustle can help you invest and save. You gotta do something. Let me tell you, share a story with you. Um, like I said, I worked at Fannie Mae for 15 years and during the housing crisis in 2008. And then I was laid off in 2011. Mm. And I recall, and that's when I started, you know, my business. I was, I went to a, a lot of boards that I sat on, and folks said, "Look, you know, I need to see what I'm going to do next. So I need to get off the board." And then they started saying, "Well, wait a minute. Oh, can we contract with you?" Can you, can you you get off the board, but can we hire you to do A, B, and C? Because I was doing that. So I work with organizations and help them do more organization development, structure boards, help them structure their financial organ their fi finances, because even as a nonprofit, you need to put finances in place. So I'm really good at doing analysis around financial analysis. Mm -hmm. So that type of thing. But I recall one time I was talking to a good friend of mine. I said, gosh, you know. Someone's gonna call me and ask me if I can loan them some money. And I was like, I don't have a job. 
She said, you need to see that as a compliment because apparently <laughs> people think, you know, <laughs> but what it was, I had saved for a rainy day. And I worked there for almost 15 years. Or prior to that, I was saving. In 15 years out there, I was saving. So they knew you had day some day. resources. And people thought, they thought I had just retired because I was still travel, but I didn't, That's I reduced my you invested in yourself and you saved and you were disciplined. It takes discipline to save. And so they called you for a loan because they knew you had it. And That's I a compliment. Like, that is a compliment. You were downsized. They thought you retired. <laughs> I was like, that's a good know, I just, you know, and then everything, all these miles I had accumulated, you know, over the years from traveling extensively my job, I'm like, oh, Mercedes, one day I might need him. I'm, I take, I used to sometime to travel international to upgrade to mm-hmm. first class. I'm yeah. like, oh, and then I had all these miles. So every, when you start saving and investing was- yourself, you realize that everything, everything going to, if your goal is I want to get that home, don't believe the myth. You, and everybody said, well, when is a good time to buy a home? Every day is a good day to buy a home if you prepare. Because, well, the market, the house is more expensive now. Well, people back in 1980 thought the same thing when the interest rate was like 15%. Mm-hmm. And now it's like at 3%. It's all relative. It's a good time because it's investment for you. Over the exactly. years, you're going to build equity, no matter how much your home costs. Mm-hmm. So whenever you want to, so that's the myth. Oh, let me wait. The market's gonna. No, oh, you economists? Are you watching this every day? <laughs> you know, no. If you want a home, back, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna pay off. Yes, it no, will. It I'm on my third home, and I'm paying on paying this house off in the next five years, and then I'm going to flip this into an investment property and go get me a little one level something. You know, as you age, I don't want no three levels. I don't need all these steps, and this house is too big yeah. for two people. So I'm like, this is going to be an investment property. My neighbor. His house is already an investment property. He lives in Denver. So he oh, rents man. his house out for the last nine years. And they pay Smart. the mortgage. And it pays. I think his house is about paid off. But he's a ski. And she said, I want to go live my dream to be a ski instructor in Denver. We live in Maryland. He's rented that house. I've been here 11 years. He's rented his house for 10 years of the 11. He doesn't even live here. That's called, <laughs> he invests. That's an investment property. He now bought another house in Denver. I heard he's about to pay that off. Again, investing in you, but all the things right. you're saying, the nuggets go back to that belief in your relationship with money. Do you feel that that's the foundation, that relationship with money that people have from an early age? Do you believe that's one of the foundations that how oh, yeah. we act as adults is a relationship with money as children? Oh, it is. It's, it's how they how they experience money. I mean, truly, you know, as a child, you see stuff, you learn, but how do you do? You see people budgeting, these people just buying stuff. So you think, oh, I can just go buy stuff. So what is that relationship with money? I tell people go back and and think about it and think about your first job and and what did you what did you do? Like I tell folks, treat yourself. You want to be because you're working every day. I treat don't don't get me wrong. I treat myself. <laughs> I, know I do, right. but <laughs> I still want to be able to invest and save and, and plan for the future, you know, and for retirement. So it, it starts back with that relationship that they had with money and then go back and think about what is your relationship now with money? Do you, do uh, you spend it when you're feeling bad? Do you, Oh, I just broke up. I want, I'm going to think about it, that those are the things that we tend to do that unconsciously that we just do because it's what we is learned behavior and learned behavior. I'm reading the comments. We have so many comments. I'm going to get to them in a minute, but I see Mr. Gordon put a great uh, something in the chat that I will probably try to copy uh, later on and put under the posting about educating and investing and how people can learn about money. Yes. And so, you know, I have so many more questions for you. So you, it's such a wealth of wisdom. And I will try to post your, your favorite quote. What's your second favorite quote? You said you had two. I want you well, to share my, the my second. My second one is, I, the only thing that makes you rich richer in life is travel. And so I travel a lot. And I you love to rich from those experiences, exposed to different cultures, different people, different perspectives. That's how you begin to learn just life lessons for me. So that's my other quote. And I travel a lot. Love, love traveling. And yes. that's one and of my actually, Right. And so, but each one of those is a different experience, something I learned and learning mm-hmm. to appreciate difference. You learn to appreciate it. I, I mean, one time going to, well, I think it was in, um, 
I don't know what it was. First time I went to Croatia, I think it was Croatia. And it was so different where they do things. I'm like, you know, you kind of like, I enjoy this. And then some places you go and it's like, this is really different. But you just have to adjust for that time. And it's just different. It doesn't mean that you have to take in everything and do everything. But I think you become richer from those experiences, those exposures, those people and culture. I appreciate, I appreciate cultures. I appreciate different cultures and value different cultures. Yes. And then you come back home. I've been outside the country several times in different, uh, you know, I've I've traveled quite a bit as well. And when I come back to the U.S., you also see the difference in things. Example, Madrid, Spain, right? I saw that, okay, wow, in Spain, healthcare is 100% free. And they also have something called siesta. You know, Americans are overworked. And some of us in the U.S. die much younger than people in other countries. Well, they have siestas every afternoon. They take to, they close every business down every afternoon. They have a siesta. That's a period of rest, and the businesses mm-hmm. close. And they learn so different. Co- I learned. Oh my God, we don't rest. So every time I've traveled, I learned something different from each country I've been to. But that stuck with me. <laughs> well, you know, one of the ones that stuck with me was when I went to Ghana, and I went to oh. Ghana. I think it's like 2007 <clears throat> for the independence. And the people are the friendliest people I ever met, ever. Friendly. I mean, just in their spirit. And so I started asking about the housing, because again, you know, I'm 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 finance, I'm home ownership. And I learned that they didn't have a system in place like we can borrow money to get a home and pay it off over 30 years. They didn't have that system. And what we call secondary mortgage system in place that they go by the bricks. And I saw these homes being built. I'm like, wow, I'm so excited. Look at the homes being built. And the guy, a friend that is taking us around, and he was like, no, that's misleading. They've been working on that house for like five years. They pay cash. So they have to build their house paying cash. So it takes them years and years to accumulate the money to build a home. That just made me appreciate the secondary mortgage system we have here, how folks are able, the Fannie Mae's and the Freddie Mac's of the world that create us opportunity to purchase a home. Over there, they can. They build it from, from brick to brick. But not only were they very friendly, from a historical perspective, you know, what happened in Ghana, from the slave trades, from the, we traced those paths that they went through. And it was just so moving. And for the people to be so kind, having gone through that. And it just, to me, was one of my most moving, really enriched experience. Because so it touches everything. Bricks. They buy the actual bricks to purchase their house. And so it might take them several years to purchase all the bricks to buy, build the house. Seven years, 10 years, because they're paying cash as they yeah. go. Just think, if we want to have a home... And we had to go build ourselves and save our money and put brick by brick and put the one in front of it. it. It could take us forever to save that amount of money. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, man, it kind of mm. made me sad. Mm. But then when we talking to them, to some of the folks there, the Ghanaians, which they are just, I, I can't say it enough. The I have friends from Ghana are. that have families from Ghana. I know several people from Ghana whose parents moved over here later in life, but they came before the parents. They are fabulous people. Yes. They're fabulous. And then when you yeah. go to Africa and, you know, you, when you're in elementary school or younger, they're showing you pictures of Africa. You see stuff on TV. Nothing like that. It's a lie. Nothing yeah. like that. Uh, yeah. Develop. Developed country, some roads, you go out in the rural area, it looked like our rural area. You go to the Mississippi Delta, you look like you in Ghana. You know, some of the places that we have that are in poverty. You got every too. some countries in Africa that are very wealthy, fabulous. Yes. And it's the what you see in America is a is a lot on television, just painting all of Africa, the whole continent in the same brush. And it's not right. true. Right. It's so, not true. Yeah. Not true. And that's and yeah. that to me was very enriching and just uh just the just the history alone of of, of of black people coming, you know, from Ghana and what they went through. So I tell folks who are here, you know, based on your ancestors, you come from good stock. You yes. can do it. You come from good because only the strong survive. Only the strong yeah. survive. Yeah, and we can do all things through Christ, and that's another oh. thing. 
African-Americans, you know, we have the actual foundation of yeah. God in our lives and yeah. our ancestors are to thank for that. Uh, if it weren't for the Negro spirituals and God, you know, we wouldn't have been able to survive anything that mm. we have been through for 400 plus years, you know, and that's the foundation. Mm. Mm. Um, you Don't get me Say it, girl. Amen. Like, <laughs> amen, Helen. You put a mark there because that's the my truth. faith is definitely... The this foundation is, what is my foundation, That's and it. I thank my parents for establishing a strong belief and faith in yes. us to be able to do this. So that's definitely my, and that's why you're able to do all that you've done. And that's what makes you the servant of God that you are. Because when I read of all that you've done and you still do, that's your ministry. And I tell people, mm -hmm. I don't care what avenue God puts you in. That's your ministry, mm. and that's what you've been doing. You're ministering to people. Ministry, my mother was a full-time minister for 40 years. Okay. Wow. Ministry is not a pulpit or a church or a building. Ministry is you and what God has for your life, and that's your purpose. And so, because you've been living in your purpose, you've been doing your ministry. <laughs> your ministry yeah. might be your job. It could have been well, God had you at Fannie Mae for 15, 16 years for a reason. And if you have a full-time job in this season. Well, you have to ask God, is that my, that's your purpose? And wherever you are, don't question it. If God is in number one in your life, that's your season. And you have, I've read your credentials. It's, it's numerous. And so in the community, what you're doing, that is your ministry. And people don't realize mm. that whether it's home on ship, you're reaching out, that is service. So and you have the heart of a servant. That's what I see yeah. when I talk to yeah. you. A heart of a servant. You know what? We'll get and I, started, Delphine. We'll yeah. get off track, girl. We'll get off <laughs> Look, track. I, I, I believe in servant leadership. Yeah. I tell yeah. people, servant leadership. <laughs> and that's what I see when I, you know, when I talk to you, when I read your Bible, I said, oh, she, your whole credentials is all service. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you think about it like that, but that is ministry. Well, and you so, know what? It, 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 you know what? It, that is right. ministry, Delphine. You're right. Thank you. You're right. You're right. And because so, sometimes you got to pray through it, girl. You got to. You know, I know. And but God has you reaching so many people. And so my next question is: What was your vision behind the formation of your company, Connect the Dots Consultants? What was your vision? I know that God gave you one, and so that's when you started it, right? <laughs> But my vision was to strengthen, grow, and sustain nonprofit organizations that was doing the work that's needed in these communities. That was my that's my vision. If we can sustain them and help them to grow, then they can do more of what they do to help those in need most. And those are minorities. You know, and these underserved or underrepresented individuals. And, and who's doing that work? Nonprofits. Now, there's some private sectors that's doing that work, but nonprofits have a different mission. Yeah. And so I want them to grow and thrive and sustain their efforts so they can continue the work that they do. I was on the board of a nonprofit organization in the Inland Empire, and they focus on housing, home ownership. And I, at the time when I came on the board, I was going through a transition, and I became vice president. And then I saw the financials <clears throat> and what was going on, and I was losing money and staff. And I'm like, oh, no. And I remember when I came board chair, when I became board chair, I just said, okay, we go, this is going to look like this is my money. And Delphine's someone who's very you know, conservative sometimes in how, <clears throat> how I utilize my money turns up what I'm going to invest and save. And that organization was fledgling. And for five years, they had a, a deficit. It was working, <clears throat> working in a deficit. In, in a year, year and a half, I got rid of that. Wow. From a deficit, because I thought about that organization was started by two veterans, a Hispanic and an African-American man, two of them, one was Hispanic, one was African-American, who mortgaged their home to start this organization to have veterans coming back from mm -hmm. war to be able to purchase a home. It's although they had a VA bill, it was a lot of uh, discrimination and predatory lending <clears throat> where they couldn't even use them to buy. And they started this organization. I'm like, oh, no, 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 not on my watch. This organization would not go down for someone who mortgaged their home and help others. And ever since then, you know, I turned that organization around, started working with other nonprofit organizations. They knew the work that I can do. And I also started with the finance, but again, involved with them. Again, I can tell them, they forget. I can teach them. They might remember. 
But if I involve them into the financial process, <clears throat> give them the tools and resources, and, and these what are these ratios? Help them understand what this means and some indicators that they use so this organization can thrive. And that's exactly what happened. When I left their organization, they went from a five-year deficit with, with six and a half months of operating reserves, you know, in that organization. So that's what made me start this organization because I sat on a lot of boards and I saw that they needed that, that infrastructure, that mm. financial piece and others that help them grow and sustain. It had great programs, but it doesn't mean anything the organization is not stable. So that's why mm. I started my, my, my um, business was to help nonprofits sustain. Yeah. So what type of services do you provide to your clients? Primarily um, organizational development, board, board development. I have um, um, D, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion because I have a tool being certified in the intercultural development inventory. They call it IDI, a tool I use to help assess individuals' cultural competencies so that they have a, a board as well diverse and help them understand how their own bias can impact the organization. So the service of the organization development, board leadership, board development, and then financial analysis. And then I also spend a lot of time program development because they have great programs. A tweak here and there, it's nothing really major you have to change. It's just the mindset and building the infrastructure and giving them the tools to help them understand where they are and where they want to go and how they want to get there. Yes. And it's so I'm gonna get to the comments in the chat that's in the chat. We have so many comments and you can read them afterwards. So if you go to my page, okay. you'll be able to see the comments. But also I want to tie, I want to ask you this question. You have so much you do in the community and volunteering. Uh, how was your experience as part of the Congressional Black Caucus delegate to Cuba? You would have you would as a Cuban delegate to oh, yeah. as part of Congressional Black Caucus. Can you, that's very exciting. Can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, I was invited to join the um, Congressional Black Caucus, uh, a group of them, as they went on a humanitarian tri trip to Cuba. And I think that was in 2000. Yeah, 2000. <clears throat> that I had an opportunity to go. And when they were talking about it, I'm like, well, you know, I have a housing background. I can go and maybe we can talk about, <laughs> jokingly said it uh, <clears throat> to one of the congresswomen. They was like, you want to come? Sure. And I, then all of a sudden, I started getting this information in mail and getting these clearance. And let me just tell you, that trip was so good. It's an eye-opener for a country and for people with so little resources and how they've been able to survive. So that's what I learned from that. Uh, going to Cuba and seeing, like I told you my first career was I spent three years in nursing school. We go into the health clinics and things like that. And I see this equipment and I go, is that an iron lung? And they're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I read about that in nursing school. I saw one. I mean, they were using outdated equipment, but they learned how to take what they have and create and build to be able to provide services you know, to the people there. Um, they had what you call from cradle to grave, from the time they born, they follow folks through the whole process until, again, they said from cradle, you know, to grave. And I don't like using that, but that's what the, some of the words, they, language they use. But the fact that they follow them through, that was phenomenal. We don't, we don't have that here. And just imagine we had that along with the other resources that we have. They had learned how to manufacture their own aspirin because of the embargo and everything. They have simple things like aspirin that would get rid of fevers. Uh, learning how they, the agriculture and, and the educational system and, you know, everybody, you know, had to learn to read and write. I mean, it's like a requirement. I mean, how about that? <laughs> you know, so, but it was really looking through the lens of what elected officials look through in terms of humanitarian. Let's not look at just that. We know we got the political lens, but these are people who are suffering. And how can we provide some relief, you know, based on um, what's going on in, in a country that's that's had a very rich culture? And it was it was it was a great trip. It was a great, great. And it felt like 
you were stuck in 1960s because mm. that's when you know all things change mm-hmm. when Kennedy was there. And you get on the elevator, you go in the building, you see the cars, it's like time, it's like a time walk, like it stopped. But how do they manage to continue to live, you know, and thrive with outdated this and that? They were very resourceful, very resourceful people, but it was it was great and listening to the questions that you know, so many elected officials were asked. It, was, it got to the point where all my questions, I was like, I would always ask about what about the women? So when we got to the, uh, met with all the different um, ministry heads over there, whether it's agriculture, health, education. And one time we got the women with sports and we sat down. So I have a question and the translator looked at me and he asked the question. I'm like, what did you say? He said, I asked them, where are the women? Because you always ask them, where are the women? You know, with my question, what role women play? And and so it's really, it's a really great trip to really get some insights and to see the work they were doing around HIV and AIDS. Oh my gosh. And how they was educating more medical students throughout the Caribbean. People from, people from uh, you know, Dominica, different places would co- come over there to go to Dominican Republic, I mean, not Dominica, Dominican Republic and stuff like that. So it's really interesting to see how they managed to survive, you know, being in the position that they were in politically. And I just thought it was, it was a great trip, really great trip. Now, over the years, have you stayed in touch with uh, Congressional Black Caucus members? Have you been involved in any other projects mm-hmm. with them? Not any other projects, but as we relate to housing, small business, mm. you know, yes, I'm always actively involved, you know, in terms of politics and community stuff. So, you know, I, I locally, all politics is local. I get I get very active in, you know, politics here locally and advocating for affordable housing, advocating for small small businesses, you know, advocating for adequate health care, you know, in these other communities. Advocate, I'm on the board of a STEM organization, focused on STEM okay. and on av- educating mm-hmm. for, you know, people of color, women, you know, young black, you know, women and, and boys in terms of getting in terms of uh, STEM. So and and the art. So yes, I'm I I, I have several issues that are that are close to me, but um, the most closest is going to be the economic development, which is the housing and the small business. Yes, and can you before I ask for your final words of wisdom, I want to ask you about what are some of your things? You're a big philanthropist community advocate. What are some of the projects that are close to your heart? What are you working on now as far as your volunteer? I know you do a lot of volunteering oh, yeah. work. Can you talk to us about that? Well, yeah. Well, I have a, a friend. I think you mentioned um, Theon might have been on here. Yeah, she is. And I have, she has <laughs> she, several comments. She, and Lisa's on here. Oh, Lisa, I'm going to have one. Yeah. Okay, let me just name them all. Theon, um, is a trainer, consultant, um, um, coach, but also has a background in nonprofit. And so everywhere she goes, I'm, I'm one of her volunteers. So now she's with, um, what's the, oh, She Ready Foundation. <clears throat> she, she runs the She Ready Foundation, which was, um, created by, um, you know, uh, how did I go blank now? Comedian. Oh, she's going to kill me. <laughs> She's in the chat. She may drop a note. Anyway, she's going to kill me. But anyway, so she does stuff for foster kids. So I'll volunteer with her um, and other organizations. She's also um, uh, Elise with Habitat for Humanity in in Beaumont, Texas. I've done stuff to help out and and volunteer in terms of resources, resources there. I um, sit on the board, um, just sit on the board of the um, Urban League of San Diego County. Uh, we transition off their board to something local here. I'm on iUrban Team, uh, which is a STEM uh, organization. I'm on their board. I'm treasurer. And they were actually, in 2013, was a recipient from the Obama administration um, of, of the White House for one of the programs that they're doing in terms of STEM. She's out of Oregon and Northern California. We got some stuff here in LA. So all of my friends know I'm a huge advocate uh, for volunteerism. And There's support. a note in the chat. Tiffany Haddish. Tiffany Haddish. How could I not remember her name? <laughs> okay, Theon, I'm sorry. 
that was Michelle. Michelle Warren typed that. Oh, who's who said Michelle, that? Michelle Warren. Oh, Michelle, that's my now. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. That's my niece. Thank you, Michelle. So Tiffany had it. So I volunteer. I volunteer. I volunteer a lot, and I do a lot of home buyer workshops. Um, you know, I, like I said, quash, squashing in a home ownership myth. I go out there talk about what is real and what's actually fake, which is actually a myth. You can do this. So I do a lot of volunteer wherever I can, but at the same time, I do take time for myself because self-care to me is important. That was going to be my question. You have to take it. So you have time for yourself, right? I was just talking to a good friend of mine. Uh, we both always had, you know, multiple little businesses and stuff. And she has, she was making candy. She is a candy business. She's insurance. She does 5,000 things. And I said, when do you, when's the last time you took some time for you? Mm-hmm. Self-care is time for you. And she said, I have to think about that. That's very, very important. So yeah, as really you is. talk about that, do you have any words of wisdom to share around self-care and, and time for you? Oh, I believe in, uh, <clears throat> let me just tell you something. That is so important to me. And especially during the pandemic where you were, closed in so that self-care became mental care even in a more um heightened you know awareness around what's happening you know during the pandemic and um not being able to have that social contact we're humans we need that social interaction so my self-care is before the pandemic i'll go somewhere international just about every year and maybe travel throughout the u.s as well but I've taken up a new, well, that's not new, but I became become more uh, focused on it is that golfing. I am now a golfer. Oh. So I've been golfing pretty regular. I started like seven years ago, a little bit here, a little bit there. For the past four years, I've been golfing very regularly. And I like it. At first, I thought it was boring. But what I didn't like was so many people I was golfing with. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to golf. <laughs> I need to go for people I like. So I joined uh, TD vs. T Dudes Golf Golf Club. And actually, I love the women there. And so now I golf. And and that keeps me, it's like, it's something that requires you to think about what you're doing at that moment. Mm. So if I want to be successful and good at golf, I can't be thinking about work or thinking about this. It requires you to release, to me, all the stress that you have. And sometimes it can be stressful when your game is not going well, but I golf and I found that that that's my new love for golf. So now I take golf trips. So now I combine my love of traveling and my love of golfing to go different places and golf. So during the pandemic, we would go to Carlsbad and Mm. and outside of San Diego, which is beautiful. And we would golf and we go to Santa Barbara and golf at the course of Santa Barbara or you know, go to this place. So it gave us an opportunity to drive and go to places, still be able to get off and then golf, you know, with, with the ladies that I enjoy golfing with. So I, I my self-care now is about golfing. So I'm not thinking, oh, what can I go now? What's our next golf trip? And I never mm-hmm. was that, but I, 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 I golf. And to me, it has really helped uh, tremendously because during the pandemic, it's the one thing you can do outdoors. And still feel like you're doing something. So I I, I enjoy golfing, um, but I, I I'm getting the travel bug back again. I need to take. Oh yeah, me too. I did I did two trips last year, and that for us not to travel. All my husband and I was like, oh my gosh, travel. You know, we like to travel too. I feel like okay, what is life without travel? So I felt in 2020, I just got back from Mexico on a trip when the pandemic came, we got back the end of January, here came the pandemic, February, March. Mm. And so we had canceled two trips that year because of the pandemic. And in 2021, we did uh, two trips last year. Um, And then this year uh, we're planning a few because we're slowly starting, you know, slowly starting to get back out and do some stuff now. But I have a a comment in the chat. I like to read to you. Ms. Gordon said, Delphine Pruitt has volunteered with me at, at so many organizations and companies. She said, forgive the forgetfulness. She, <laughs> I don't think you probably haven't listed most of what you have done. I know you have it because I've read your uh, bio and stuff. You're very, very humble. You haven't oh, listed wow. a lot of stuff, but I wanted to read that note from Miss. Um... <laughs> also, uh, uh, Miss Speed says the lady is Tiger Woods. Lady Tiger Woods, you're that good at your golf game. No, I'm not. I'm not. uh, Well, 
Tiger ain't been playing well lately, but I'm not even on his bad day that good. <laughs> you know, so on, on Tiger worst day, I'm not even that good. But I have gotten better just like with anything else. I've gotten better. I got a, some golf buddies, some uh, guys I golf with on Sunday. And and so it's really, it's really has helped. It really has helped me to, since I wasn't traveling as much, it really has helped me to do that. But I, I do. There's so many folks out there who I volunteer with. I just can't, I, you know, I can't remember all, but. You're trying to be extra humble, but it's okay. But if I can't, they know, you know, if I can, then I'm a, you know, I'll write a check. <laughs> so if I can't make it, I want to support them because I, I right. value the work that nonprofit organizations do. I value that, which is why uh, when I started, you know, my company, this is why I did it, to, to really help them you know, grow and thrive because just because they're a nonprofit, the people who work there are very talented and very, very good at what they do. Yes, and, and I have several girlfriends that have nonprofits, so I actually may try to connect some people to you that I'm thinking uh, about. A couple of them came on chat with us over a year ago. They one has had a nonprofit for about 13, 14 years in the DC area and mm. a couple others because they could probably use your services. I always think of connection. I always like to connect people with people. Yeah. So when you talk, I thought of a couple names. I'll talk to you offline about that. But yeah, before well, I we go- I live in D.C., so I'm good. I lived in, I lived in Oh, really? How long in did you live here? How long did you live in D.C.? I lived in D.C. Um, maybe three years, three years. What? Okay, well, did you, be honest. Now you live in California. Which do you prefer? You're going to say you prefer the West Coast, right? But did you like living oh, in no. D.C.? No. The best place was New York. And my husband's a New Yorker. <laughs> I, I love New York. No, I, I, I love had a New York. Too. I was that one of my friends said, You live in your dream. I lived in Manhattan on 75th Columbus, two blocks from the park. Working at the oh, Rockefeller Foundation can not tell me anything. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, no, man. I, love, I love New York too, but I haven't been in three years. This we're going back for the first time. He's from New York, born and raised in Brooklyn. But when we go, I take the Amtrak train right up to Penn Station. I live yeah. in Maryland, but I ain't no driving to New York. I love my Amtrak train. I like going to the Penn Station, going to my favorite restaurant, and I stay in Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan. But we haven't been in three years, so this is the first year we're going to go oh, back. Wow. In fact, I'm going to go probably the summertime is not the best time to go. You no, talking about hot no, in D.C. No, no. I thought I was going to die on the pavement one time yeah. I went in July in New York. I said, I yeah. can't come up here in the summer again. We have to wait till the summer is gone. But I well, love I'm New thinking, York, too. Yeah. I'm thinking about going in. I'm thinking about going this June because I haven't been in so long. I know it's going to be hot, but it's probably late May, early June before it's I get. It's not going to be as hot as July, August. Oh yeah, no, so July you and August is just, it's just miserable. But I, I'll take New York hottest day any, any day. day, and the second would be California beaches. You can't, can't look. I walk to the beach. I'm walking out by the water just about every oh, other day. I, I mean, if you're going to be in where you are. Love I'm going to appreciate where yeah. I am and where I am in LA is that beach and that water. You can't. That's fabulous. Can't you can't beat beat it. I love the ocean. Can't I love the water. Girl, that, so you did like DC though. Cause usually some people live on the East coast. They say eh, East coast, DC, East, East coast people yeah. are different than West coast. That's all I want to say. You know what? DC was small. It's I enjoyed tiny. it, it's but it was tiny. small. Look at the map. Yeah. It's a dot. I know. It was It was small. <laughs> when I lived there, it's like, it's small. It's New York, small. you have five boroughs, you yeah. know, but like Wiley Manhattan. So all my New York folks watching this, sorry, Wiley Manhattan. <laughs> But you know, no, I used to go to in fact I used to I went to my husband's old neighborhood. You have the pier and so you used to oh, be yeah. a nurse, but I don't know if you ever been to the body exhibit in New York. We're gonna talk no. online about that. Oh my gosh, you gotta no. go to the body exhibit and it, I it never travels. Saw it came out here to LA. At the oh, Science did Center. you not go? I love that. Most people have that. to have a strong stomach to go to the body exhibit. Yeah. But you were three years in a nursing school. You should handle yeah. it. But you yeah. got to you got to do the body exhibit. Um, when it came it. to Baltimore, we didn't go, but I've seen it in New York, and then it went to Vegas one time, and it travels. But New York at the mm. pier has always had it. I don't forget what pier number. You know how they're numbered. But I like other parts of New York too. I've been to Queens. I've been to. Brooklyn, but it's still nothing like Manhattan. You're right. Yeah, it's not like Manhattan. I like, I mean, I go to Brooklyn, Queens, all Long Island. I have friends all over, but 
I tell you, when I came back, I was sure glad to be back in Manhattan. <laughs> like I'm sure I'm so happy to be in California by the water. So I'm like, oh, who wouldn't love that? I mean, that's idyllic and that's beautiful. But I yes. really want you to really share your final words of wisdom. What words of wisdom do you have to anyone that's listening right now, right? <laughs> on becoming more financially savvy. That's my final question for you. To share from your heart what words of wisdom you have for that. I would say just start. Don't waste no perfect time. Just start. <clears throat> start with a small amount. You know, start with reading books. Start with going online, taking some classes. Just start. That's the first thing. Just start. Get. Don't let your mind tell you what you cannot do. Mm, amen. I amen. would say just disrupt that mindset of I can't with and replace it with I will and I can. And just take that first step. If you work on your mindset, mm -hmm. the rest will follow. And affirm, for me, I have so many girlfriends who've written books on affirmations. I think uh, my friend Sansa Ray Wood Woodward, she wrote a fabulous book on, on affirm daily affirmations. And even having your word, you know, the word of God says you renew your mind, you know, That's and right. you can use the word, you can use daily affirmations, but you have whatsoever you say. And you, your words have power and you have to speak and have affirmations of faith. And so all of that is so true because you can't change your mind until you renew your mind. And a lot yep. of people, personal, personal mm -hmm. development, the word of God, all these tools we have to renew our minds. And so until you renew your mind with the word of God and with personal development, then you'll never change your mindset. Because yeah. only I, God can help say, you renew that. Yes. And I would say my one affirmation I say all the time is that I will only allow divine ideas to guide me. And no matter Ooh, where I'm it. at, it don't take any time. I only allow divine ideas to guide I can be driving and something, but I think something negative. I only allow divine mm -hmm. ideas. If you find one affirmation that you like, for me, mm -hmm. it's something biblical with my faith. But yeah. the one, uh, uh, you know, the one thing that you can say and recite to yourself, Whenever you get that negative thought, mm -hmm. say it, disrupt it, disrupt it and say it. Yes. And that personal development and, and, and having your time for yourself and your personal devotion time with God mm -hmm. and in the word and your personal development books. I have books I read that are journals and uh, devotional books, whatever it takes mm -hmm. for you to get centered. And again, that comes back to still having time for yourself, doesn't it? That's part of personal care as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Taking yep. that time, that exactly. quiet time, right? And exactly. so um, I want to make sure everyone will have your website. It'll be listed under this. And I'm also going to take Ms. Uh, Ms. Gordon, put a website in the chat. I will put that up. I will try to copy that and put that in under as well because there's Great. so many resources out here that people need to get in touch with this fabulous Ms. Delphine, Delphine Pruitt. It's so many services that I can think of five people with nonprofits <laughs> right now that I'm going to say, go to her website. I'm going to send my girlfriends a text. Some of them have nonprofits. They need goddess. They need help. You know, and even, you know, it, there's so many things financially that you have done with home ownership that, you know, they need to go to your website and contact you to get the services and the years of wisdom that you can pour mm -hmm. into people. I mean, you know, again, it starts with humility. You know, yeah. saying that you need help. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and this woman is here to help you in service. And all that you do, I just thank God for you and thank you for your service and your years of what you continue to do, you know, because that to me is a service. You service the community and the heart of a servant is truly what you have. So I appreciate you thank so you. much. Thank and you. you have all these comments, but I'm going to tell Miss Gordon right now, I'm a, I have a whole section of this <laughs> website she typed out and Miss Delphine's website will be here. So I want people to reach out to this phenomenal yeah. woman. And um, it's so great. And I'm making sure I'm going to stay in touch because I know so many people I can think of that need mm -hmm. your services and need your, your words of wisdom and what you provide to the community that I can just think off of the top of my head. Well, I'm going to see my brother because I'm telling you, like, you think I'm deep? He deep. He's deep. I'm going to see but my you brother. You have a lot that you do. You have the heart of a servant and so much mm -hmm. you do, especially in the African-American community and communities where you see a need that you've done all these years. And you continue to do that. And so that's to me to be mm -hmm. that's be, to be commended on all that you do and you continue to service others. That's what you do is service. Yeah, that's the bottom thank line. You. Thank you. It's <laughs> you don't it's think of it like that, do you? But it's service. No, it's the ministry. You're right. It's a, exactly. That's thank it. You so yes. 
And uh, I have a few notes. Lisa says, well done. Uh, Lisa, I mean, I'm trying to read the notes. Great job. Miss Sp Speed says, great job. Miss Gordon. It has so many comments here. And you can go to the, my, my page okay, and see I'm all these again, comments. Thank you. But I want to make sure everybody knows that, look, this is a phenomenal woman. Get in touch with her. I'm going to update the post right away. It also will be podcasted on SoundCloud. And she will be forever podcasted her words of wisdom to listen to all that she says. And that quote, I had never heard that Benjamin Franklin quote before tonight. And I wrote it down. So I'm going to try to put it under the post, too. That is so powerful, that quote that you shared. Right. And Ben um, Franklin, who knew? I had never heard that. <laughs> I never heard that. That is such words of wisdom. If you'd said nothing else, I hope they, hope they heard that and to get in touch with you right away for your services. I appreciate you. Alrighty. And, you know, I'll talk to you very soon. And I thank you for yeah. your time. Thank and you. Stay so blessed and stay safe. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Same to you. Take care. Thank okay, you. Take Nessa. care. Thank right, you. Bye-bye.